Attended by Simmons. Is this the taker? Battleborn Phantom. Hello and welcome back to the Battleborn Leafs podcast. I'm your host as always, Joshua Anselmo. Here with my co-host, Mitchell Weatherall. Mitch, it was a crazy game on Tuesday night between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, The Vegas Golden Knights did win in overtime. It was a 4-3 final score. Uh, It was a very impressive game from a few Leafs, most notably Timothy Lilligren, who had a fantastic night offensively. Um, it's actually kind of funny referred to it as his worst game of the season so far. Um, I guess, you know, speaking of his lapses in the defensive zone, but he still had a strong performance. Uh, Mitch, let's get your thoughts on this game to start off. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about the game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, which should happen tomorrow night. Uh, by the time you're listening to this podcast, it'll probably be a game day. We're thinking about releasing this on the Friday. So um, we're going to preview the Friday night game against the Penguins and the Saturday game against the Vancouver Canucks. A very good uh, two teams coming into Toronto. We know the numbers aren't there for both these teams right now, but these teams on paper are very intriguing, you know, especially the Vancouver Canucks with their moves to giving that extension to JT Miller. And the Penguins, we all know they aren't so bad themselves, making the playoffs 16 seasons in a row now. And Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malk, anytime they are together, they are definitely a team to watch out for. But both teams, like I said, slow starts. But Mitch, let's start off with Tuesday's overtime loss to the Golden Knights. Uh, I think the obvious question to ask is, you know, Sandine kind of had a slip up in the opening period there. And for Nick Waugh's opening goal, you know, he fumbles the puck there on the blue line. And Vegas goes the other way and capitalizes. What was your initial thoughts on that? There's a lot of, I feel like a lot of Leafs Nation right now is starting to turn on Sandine. I, I saw a comparison to Travis Dermott. Are you starting to feel that as well? Because I think I'm a lot higher on Sandine than, consens- than the consensus of the Leafs uh, fan base right now. Uh, oh yeah, I am high on I am high on him, like you said, but I think like with Riley there, he's not going to get the recognition that he deserves. There's still tons of time for him to grow, but what happened Tuesday, that first hole is unacceptable, but I, I mean like he's going to build upon that, and I'm not really fully worried about him because I wouldn't like fully blame him that game, but there was also other issues and occurrences that happened that also costed them that game, so he's definitely a small portion of that, but he's not fully it. I think he's going to build off this, and I think the Leafs just need to give him this opportunity just give him more and more opportunities for him to grow. And something like this is really going to benefit him moving forward. So overall, though, I think, like, there was too many just silly mistakes and, like, that like that costed them for sure. And, like, I wouldn't fully blame him on that first goal. And I think a bit of it was on Schalger, too. I think he could have easily held that puck, in my opinion. So he's, he's, he's part to blame there, too. But there was also other turnovers by Lilligren and, this team just couldn't close, which has their big, been their biggest issue for a while now. So he's, he's part to blame for sure, but I wouldn't fully give it to him. Uh, I wouldn't throw, fully throw it on his shoulders, but I think this is something he'll definitely grow off. And I'm excited to see what he brings moving forward after this. You know, I like how you kind of mentioned Morgan Riley there. And, you know, you're, you all, if you've been all over Twitter, like I have been to start this season, there's been a lot of hot takes, but. One of the Leafs' core players that I've seen get a lot of heat lately is Morgan Riley. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, when Morgan Riley signed that extension last season, I was a bit mixed. Um, You know, I didn't really know how to feel about it. 
Obviously, the cap hit, I feel like you got him at a bargain. I think if he hit the open market, he might have gone 8 to 9 in that area. I know there was some takes that he might have got $10 million from you know some teams out west, but I think you got him at a reasonable price. The only problem is, is he's so dominant and one-sided in his play to the offensive zone. That like I'm starting to get a bit frustrated when you look at teams in the histories, you know, the, the most recent years of Stanley Cup champions, and you know, last season, of course, the Colorado Avalanche had Kale McCarr. You go down the list, there's tons of teams, right? St. Louis had Pitarangelo, the Penguins had Chris Letang, although you know, in 2017, that was Justin Schultz and uh, I guess more of a committee kind of defense core. So if you want to look at an outlier, maybe there because the Washington Capitals when they won that year, they had John Carlson and. Obviously, Hedman for Tampa's back-to-back as well. And one thing I'm starting to get frustrated with Riley is, you know, we have championship aspirations here in, in Toronto. And obviously, you know, the, the first round is the most talked about thing. But I'm starting to get frustrated in terms of Mormon Riley's play on, in both ends of the ice. And I find in the offensive zone, he's reluctant to shoot. Sometimes he'll pass up that grade-A shooting opportunity and he'll look to force a pass which is, you know, most times led to a turnover this season. And then the defense's own, he's really lost. And if this is going to be your number one guy for a team that's trying to win a Stanley Cup and not just one, you have a young core here, you should be looking at potential dynasties when you have the talent you do in Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, and John Tavares. And I, I just feel like we're not getting that out of him. And, you know, I, I watched Tampa the other night and Hedman's been battling an injury, but still, when he's playing, this guy is a brick wall. He can play on offense. He's just as good as a shutdown defenseman. And, you know, I get that's not Morgan Riley's game, and this is a Leaf team that's going to have to look to kind of win with a committee of a defense defensive core. But right now, I'm really not seeing it out of Morgan Riley. Like, do you feel what I'm saying right now? Uh, yeah, no, I totally get it. I, I He's a very one-sided defenseman. But again, like they got his deal to bargain, so I can't really complain. Like they're not overpaying them. I would say they're underpaying him either. He would have got a lot of money in the open market, but you kind of could say he took a team-friendly deal here and wanted to stay in Toronto, which was good. So he's a defenseman that doesn't wow me. Like Kale McCarr, John Carlson, like even Chris Letang, Petrangelo during those cup runs, they all wowed me. Riley doesn't wow me. Like Riley, I just see as like a a good defenseman. Like. Yeah, like, both offense and defense, I'm talking, like, as a whole. But, like, those guys just wow me, and I just don't see that. I just don't see it out of him. And, like, if you want a go-to guy like he is, he's got to be able to play it all. And don't get me wrong, like, the Leafs have had their defensive issues uh, along for a while, but he's he's been part of the reason to it, too. Like, he's got, he has his lazy moments and his costly turnovers, too. So I wouldn't, like, fully blame guys like Hall all the time and, like, even, like, Brody with some turnovers. But, like, Riley's had some bad defensive plays, too. Don't get me wrong. And they claim the lead guy. So I at least they got his contract go to bargain. Like, it's not nothing too high, nothing too, like, low either, which is nice. It's, like, at that medium value. So, again, like, would I trade Riley? I, I don't think I'd trade Riley. Like, he's kind of set in stone to go-to guy. But I would definitely... I don't even think... I don't even think you could trade him. Sorry to interrupt you, but I like that cap hit right now for a pure fire offensive defenseman that, you know, doesn't come with a lot of, I guess, I don't even know how to describe it, but an offensive defenseman that doesn't really like to use his shot and doesn't have his shot as a strength. To me, that's a little bit worrisome. And, you know, the, the positive sign with Morgan Riley is I think his attributes and what makes him special is that 
those are, you know, like those are attributes that could be good long term. Like, I don't think by the time he's, you know, 32 or 33, like his skill is really going to fall out of the drain. Like if you have the ability for him, like that he possesses to see in the offensive zone, I think that usually stays with you for the remainder of your career, no matter what age you are. We're seeing athletes nowadays, no matter the age, they could be 40 and they're still performing at a high level offensively. It's just to me that defensive zone work. And I, I'm going to interrupt you here because I have a question. So I remember I, I, I asked a couple of our friends this, and uh, I think it was like maybe a couple years ago now, I did a, a, in franchise mode in NHL. I think it was NHL 20. I traded Morgan Riley for Ekblad. And, you know, obviously that trade, that's probably nowhere close in real life. But, you know, franchise mode had some fun. And the Leafs actually, when because I, I didn't play it, I just simmed it. And the Leafs won two Stanley Cups in three seasons with the core of Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, and Ekblad. And it was kind of fun having to work that out with the cap space, had to move some pieces, obviously got some depth roles and had to move them from some other guys to make it all work. But I'm just, I'm just going to ask you, in your opinion, see, I, I look at a guy like Ekblad, right-hand shot, obviously, that's the first difference between him and Morgan Riley. But if you look just past Ekblad, defensemen that have won the Stanley Cup, I'm going back to my same point here. They were able to run your power play. They were able to play on your penalty kill. They were also the first pairing you rolled out against the other team's best players. Now, I got to ask you, Morgan Riley's being paid like the number one guy. He's the number one guy in all aspects of the organization. It's not hard to tell. And, you know, Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe will be the first ones to tell you that he is the number one defenseman here in Toronto. Do you really feel comfortable putting out Morgan Riley if he has to shut down, let's say, the Boston Bruins perfection line in round one of the playoffs? freaking way I trust him they'll dazzle for that guy man he's brutal defensively and like we've seen in the past and yeah Boston's that top line's haunted them in the playoffs for years man but okay okay fine I'll go with a different team what about if they played uh let's say Florida let's say they went against a Barkov to Chuck and Verhage line what about that still no shut down a top line like all those like other like like what what do you mean by that is can he shut down that if there's a three-on-one and no he can't i just mean in general like if you look at headman headman you know it's very hard to get opportunities on him chris letang as well as an offensive d that you know he's not the biggest guy he's not the most physical letang still found a way to make it work with brian dumlin for those cup runs and you look at john carlson john carlson's a guy that can play in all areas of the ice and same with kale mccarr kale mccarr was the only one last year in the playoffs that i notably remember matching Connor mcdavid's speed and being able to poke the puck from him and kale mccarr is you know a, a sensational talent but come on morgan riley like i'm getting nervous about him being the number one guy here man i can't lie and you know i like morgan riley a lot he's been here for the longest time longest tenor leaf right now he brings a lot to this roster i'm not criticizing him or anything but it's starting to get noticeable, this drop-off in play from these Stanley Cup contenders, their number one defenseman. Uh, so you, you trade Riley for, like, like that Ekblad trade. Like, you would do something like that? Like, well, that was before Ekblad really signed his, like, extension with Florida. And obviously, you know, the Caps. But, like, that obviously isn't a realistic offer. I don't think... There, it, if you have a number one defenseman in your organization, you're really not going to give him up. It's so rare. Like to me, Chikrin's not really a number one. He's more of a committee number one, and I don't think you need yeah. that here in Toronto. And I, I, I think you have too many offensive defensemen in, in the system right now. 
You know, you look at Sandine. Sandine's good. Like, I love Sandine. I love Lilligren. You know, all summer I was, you know, talking about them, giving them their contracts because I thought they were going to be, you know, a key piece of the future. But it's really starting to look like this team needs another Brody because Brody right now has seemed like he's been the most underrated defenseman, in my opinion. You put him against Hall, and now Hall and him have some of the best analytic metrics in the National Hockey League. I know it's a limited sample size, but I think if this team added another kind of Brody-like player, we could see the rise in the talent of a guy like Morgan Riley being able to trust more of his offensive instincts instead of trying to find that all overall play. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they got to utilize him more offensively if that's clear as strength. So I think, like, what if they trade for, like, another right-handed defenseman and pair him up with him? Like, what about, what about, what about a guy like Ethan Bear? Well, I remember, Ellie Friedman talked about Ethan Bear, and he said the Leafs did have interest, but they didn't want to send... Uh, the pick over something to take his cap hit. And now that he's in Vancouver now, I'm I'm wondering if there's maybe another guy out there. You know, there's a lot of talk about the Winnipeg guys like DeMello and stuff. But what about, like, what about St. Louis? Bertuzzo kind of intrigues me. You know, if they could swing Pareko, I would love that. But Connor Murphy is the guy that I have highlighted. And even Mayfield, too, if you could kind of pry him away from Lou. But just, you know, Murphy's ability to really play that physical kind of style He's not bad at moving the puck. You know, he's not known for his offensive instincts, but he's certainly a guy that can, you know, hold, you know, some of your opponents in check. And I think that that's, you know, the qualities this blue line lacks here in Toronto. And if you could find a way to get Connor Murphy, I think I'm going to pull the trigger. Would you like that? Oh, 100%, yeah. I just think, like, I think Riley, like, going, like, I think he needs a right-handed defenseman of him. I just said, like, one of those guys, I don't know. I like him with Lilligren. Only problem with that line is they're they're fairly undersized, and when you get into a playoff series, I remember watching the game last year in the regular season against the Islanders. They were getting hit a ton, and that was kind of forcing them to play the puck quicker, and it was tough for some certain points there. And you know, I love Lilligren and all, but definitely, you know, he he's he's showing the right signs and all, and he's he looks like he's made tremendous improvements, especially physically. But the thing is, you don't want to have a blue line that's, you know, lacking that, you know, that physicality and that toughness, especially in the playoffs. Because, you know, there's a chance right now, you look at the playoff picture, you're going to be running into one of these, I guess, sandpaperish teams. Like, I consider, you know, the Islanders, you know, they get hard on the forecheck. The Detroit Red Wings are not shy to play physically. You know, we saw the Washington Capitals last night throw some huge hits on the Pittsburgh Penguins, a game we're going to be talking about in a second. But... You know what I mean? Like, you don't have a too small of a decor here, right? Like, because if you get matched up against Boston again. Well, they got a guy like Muzzin, but my only thing with him is his health. Yeah, like, do we know Muzzin's coming back, though? That's the thing. You look at the roster. Mark Giordano, TJ Brody. um, Giordano can be physical at his age, though. Exactly. And, you you know, there's no real, like, defenseman on this Maple Leafs roster that has the size that you're like, wow. Like, Philip Crawl. Might be in that conversation, but he's not on the everyday roster. Not right now with uh, Muzzin out. I don't see anyone very like physical. And Riley does not possess that. The closest guy I could see is maybe Brody. That's it. You know, th- there is a name that I've been watching a couple games uh, out in Seattle, and that's Will Borgen. And, you know, right-hand shot, he's got some good size. He does make some errors. Um, you know, a little bit better offensively than... I guess your average third pairing defenseman, but 
right hand shot. He, he's in the last year of his deal, making nine hundred thousand. I think that you know this was a guy that I had highlighted last year. Same with Ilya Labushkin to kind of get Borgin before he really uh, broke out in Seattle. They got him the expansion draft. They sent him. Well, he was kind of on the outside looking in on that Kraken roster last year. Uh, this year, he's got his chance. You know, he's got good analytic metrics. He, like I said, he does make a lot of mistakes. He's that guy you got to put on your third pairing. But I just think for a right-hand shot making, you know, that 900K salary, this is a guy I'm going to be watching out for. And I just want to mention his name on the pod. And I know this is probably a name not a lot of hockey fans are familiar with, but Will Borgen is a guy I really wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Kyle Dubas brings in as a kind of depth, you know, right-hand shot defenseman uh, down the line here as we get closer to the deadline. But, you know, I think it's enough talking about trades here and stuff like that. Let's get back to the point of this pod and that's obviously the back-to-back but just finishing up on our last points there this is a Leafs decor it's you know no secret that they lack that physical um tall I guess kind of that old style hockey defenseman and a guy like Scott Mayfield or Connor Murphy completely changes that around now with the loss of Jake Muzzin preferably you want him with a right-handed shot so that's why I guess Mayfield and Murphy are two perfect examples. But there's other names across the league. Bertuzzo, DeMello, like I said, you can all look at as well. And, you know, tonight, well, when you listen to this, it's going to be tonight. The Pittsburgh Penguins. This is a very interesting hockey team so far this season. Uh, before I break them down, Mitch, is there anything you want to talk about on the Pittsburgh Penguins here as kind of your little starter of tonight's game? Uh, I think they're going to be really hungry tomorrow. And I just, like, after their that seven-game losing streak, they're going to be hungry. And I think tomorrow's going to be a tough ask for the Leafs. Like, Crosby and Malkin, like, Crosby, Malkin, like, all them Latangs together, like, they're still out here at Wimp. And, like, I wouldn't bank on them falling off. So, I think tomorrow's going to be really tough. Both, I think both Leafs and Penguins have been struggling lately. So, this is going to be a, a grind for both teams. And I'm excited to see the outcome. But I think tomorrow's going to be a very, very tough game. All right, so in my notes in watching the Penguins so far this season, for those of you guys that know me on a personal level, this is my Super Bowl. These are like my two teams, the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I want to shout out my friend Nick, who covers the Pittsburgh Penguins for Inside the Rink. If you're a Penguins fan listening to this or just like the team in general and want to learn a little bit more, then please go check out his work uh, for Inside the Rink. He does a great job, and you know he's got some great content. But watching the Penguins, you know, most notably last night, this is a team that... They were down a three defenseman against the Washington Capitals. Uh, some huge hits. They lost Jan Ruda. They lost Pierre Oliver Joseph. Um, then Petrie kind of got hurt there for a second. He went to go lay a hit, and his I guess his left knee kind of gave out on him there. It looked very dangerous, like in terms of his long term health. You know, obviously those knee injuries, especially when you're an older player, uh, those could be tough. And he comes back, so great to see. You know, despite Petrie. Being a Montreal Canadian for a large part of his career, I still like him as a hockey player. I think, you know, as a right-hand shot defenseman, he's, you know, good in the offensive zone, not too bad in the defensive side of things. I think at least the sorry the Penguins got a good player there. Um, now, just looking at this team overall, like their bottom six hasn't been strong. Like they brought in Josh Archibald. He's got three goals on the season. He's not bad. He's got a little bit of, I guess, I wouldn't say sandpaper because he's not one to really drop the gloves, but he's not afraid to also hit guys into the board. So credit to him. And he can also, you know, shoot the puck at a good rate so far this season. Obviously, that's not a guy you'd bank on a score, but he's really the only guy I look at the Penguins' bottom six right now, and I'm seeing, you know, production out of Ryan Paling, the former Montreal Canadian. I'm not too wild with his play. I think he's a pretty vanilla player. 
Uh, he looks like he's a stopgap for Teddy Bluger, who's on the LTIR. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Teddy Bluger. Obviously, you know, there's been, looks like some falling out between management and the player. But this is the guy that I think brings a lot of value to the Penguins lineup. I think he's solid both ways and in both ends of the ice. Obviously, he's more known for his defensive ability. Um, and he's not too bad offensively. He does chip in certain times here. Definitely a guy that I wouldn't mind as a third-line center on my hockey team. But um, it's interesting to see how he's kind of, I guess the outside looking in right now obviously you know there's the rumor at the trade uh sorry at the draft about how he was approached uh in a trade by you know it's sent to montreal and montreal opted to take matheson instead but you look at the, the other parts of this roster brian rust love him uh fantastic hockey player the definition of you know a hard working player and uh effort and determination he he's awesome but he's kind of switching between him and ricard raquel this year on the top line with Sidney crosby and jake gensel Obviously, Raquel has had the better metrics with 87 and 59. And I guess Malkin, you know, suits Russ's play style style better as well. They have the better metrics too. Now, this has been a hot topic in Pittsburgh about which forward should be on that top line. Right now, they're currently going with Rust. Uh, Would you roll Rust or Raquel on that top line? Because it seems like everybody wants Raquel in Pittsburgh. But Sidney Crosby, I feel like, really enjoys playing with Rust. Uh, I'd go Russ for sure. I think he's got a bit more chemistry with the team than Raquel does, but I'd, I, I would be still open to giving Raquel that opportunity. I just, from a chemistry perspective, I'd give it to, I'd give definitely, I'd definitely give it to Russ though. He's been there with their cup runs and he's, he's like played within that top six. He just knows their system. So I definitely, I just leave Russ, like I'd roll Crosby against Russ on that line. I just think great chemistry, good line. From uh, Raquel Gino, and I think that'd be good for them. But I just, from a chemistry perspective, I would just leave Russ there. But I, it's it's worth like trying Raquel on that first line. Like I wouldn't rule it out though. Yeah, like Raquel's done good, like for the like the start here, and then they opted to move back. Remember, this is a Penguins team that they lost seven straight going into Wednesday's game against the Washington Capitals, and you know the that was I guess. A tough stretch for the Penguins. It's not something you usually see in the Crosby era uh, with Andy Malkin and Chris Letang, especially as they've gotten older. But, you know, you look at those games, this isn't a bad hockey team, in my opinion. Like, they're, they were the better team in almost every metric in those games. Like, the game against the Boston Bruins, they should have won. They choked the three-goal lead. I think they should have beat Seattle in both games. Credit to Martin Jones for playing awesome in those two games. Uh, the Alberta trip was kind of rough. Obviously, they gave up the 3-1 lead to the Oilers, and then they weren't really close in that game against the Calgary Flames. You know, this is a Penguins team that they, they it was it was tough, but also they they looked great last night in Washington, and that was a tough game. And you know, yes, Washington was out a large part of their roster, some of their best players, and you know, most of their cap space. But still, the Pittsburgh Penguins looked pretty good. And one thing I have to note from Wednesday's contest was that they rolled with Casey to Smith to start that one. That was an interesting call. That was a curveball by Mike Sullivan because they obviously have the back-to-back as well. They'll be in Montreal tomorrow night. Um, well, I guess Saturday night. This is so confusing recording the day before a game because you're talking about when the game is going to be happening. And, you know, people listening to this are probably going to be listening to this on game day. But, um, you know, my biggest question here for you, Mitch, now is, Tristan Jari's clearly the Penguins' number one. He had a very strong season last year. He's, you know, hasn't had a great start this season. I thought he was phenomenal in that game against the LA Kings this season. 
Uh, it, I would like if I had to bet money. I think Tristan Jari is going to get the game against Toronto. It's confirmed already. Eric Schalgren will be a net for the Blue and White. Would you roll with Jari or DeSmith tomorrow at Scotiabank Arena? You know what? See, it was a big curveball them start DeSmith Wednesday, and honestly, I think I'd go home again tomorrow. Like, you see, like I just like that. Just that one adjustment, like help them so much and I think like I would roll the Smith again tomorrow and just see what happens because clearly like they, they snapped out of their uh, their rough stretch yesterday with him and everything went well they had a great game why not like why not keep going with him like I know Jari's their number one guy they want to put all the attention on him give him all the time start the Smith tomorrow like Washington's still a good hockey team I think like he can easily take steal it against Toronto if like the Leafs collapse but like why why not? Just give him another shot tomorrow. I I I try to see what happens. Yeah, like one thing's interesting to note is Pittsburgh's already been in Montreal this season. They lost the Habs. Uh, it was an overtime game that you know I guess uh, interesting penalty to Petrie uh, sent Montreal on the power play and they connected no T there. It was Casey to Smith in goal for that one. So that's why I'm kind of wondering maybe they play to Smith tomorrow night. Remember, DeSmith's favorite team is actually the Montreal Canadiens. So that's the thing I'm going to be wondering. Like, do they go back? Or Sorry, his favorite team growing up was the Montreal Canadiens. So, like, do they switch back to DeSmith for that one, give him a game again, uh, again for the second time this season? Obviously, he's already seen the Canadiens, so maybe that gives them a little bit of an advantage. But one thing about Tristan Jari, and i got to give him credit, is, you know, the second time these two teams met in Toronto last season, um, it wasn't so good for the uh, for the Penguins, sorry. And Tristan Jari did not have a good night. That was the game Morgan Riley scored that beautiful goal. Speaking of players, uh, you know Morgan Riley had a very good game that night at Scotiabank Arena. But the first time these two teams met at, in Toronto last season, it was actually the Penguins who had a really stellar defensive performance. And yeah, the Maple Leafs hit a lot of goal posts, and they certainly got unlucky out of the two sides in that one. But... Tristan Jari was a rock, and that was when the Penguins were coming off a bit of a like a tough stretch, and that was a playstyle that you're not too familiar with with this Penguins roster. You know they have Crosby, and last year they were still without Malkin and some other pieces um, when this game happened. But it was a really strong defensive game, and they really shut down the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then the second game it was the complete opposite. The Leafs came out flying. Austin Matthews, I'm pretty sure, had a great night as well in that one. So I'm starting to wonder, maybe Jari gets that opportunity again because if the Penguins play like they did in that first game last season, that very low event hockey, and remember that's when they had Teddy Bluger. Teddy Bluger, I thought, had a phenomenal game uh, that night in Toronto where they won 2-0. But like, it's going to be interesting because I don't feel like this Penguins team is so different from where it's been you know, seasons prior. Obviously, they moved on from John Marino, who was a guy that was kind of one of that staples of the decor for the, the last couple of seasons there. Dumoulin... Now, I'm going to highlight Dumoulin here. Dumoulin has not been the same player the last year and a half-ish, maybe a little bit further than that. Dumoulin's had some rough outings so far uh, to end last season, and it's gotten bad this season as well. I think he's been on for... Last time I checked, it was like 19 of 20-something goals the Penguins have given up this year. Where like That's insane, um, especially for a guy like Dumoulin, who was known as you know the Penguins best shutdown guy on those back-to-back championships. He was, you know, huge on that top pairing with Chris Letang and allowed Chris Letang to play at, you know, the highest level that I don't think even some of the biggest Penguins fans could have uh, predicted. But, you know, Dumoulin's kind of really regressed. And 
I guess, you know, he's he's a warrior, right? He's been through a lot of injuries. You know, his, his mobility looks like it's taken a hit after, you know, I think he had a serious ankle injury, what was it, last season or the season prior. And, you know, he and Latang didn't really have that mix this year. He had a better night in Washington last night uh, pairing uh, on a pairing with Jan Ruda. I think they were the third pairing in that game. Obviously, he was the one of the three Penguins defensemen that were able to stay healthy. So he got a pretty good uh, ac- amount of action in Washington. Now, I got to ask you, like, when you look at this Penguins roster, if from the least perspective, where are you looking to capitalize? Yeah, like where's a, a player or something you notice about this Penguins team that you really think that the Leafs should look at and exploit? Uh, well, I think like you said, like Dumoulin and Latang, like they haven't had that connection this year, so I'd definitely like try to take advantage of that. But like the thing, like the Penguins and Leafs, like they're both two different teams. I find the Penguins are a bit older now, so like if the Leafs can beat them with speed, that'd be good. But again, like I definitely try to capitalize on the speed game for sure. Like the Leafs gotta play fast, and they they gotta watch those turnovers too. Like that, that's gonna kill them too. Because if the Penguins are gonna be another team that will come out quick on them. Yeah, no, and the one thing with the Penguins is you look at their team. Yes, it's obviously older. I think it's the oldest team in hockey, uh, or was coming into the season. But one thing about them is they don't lack speed, right? And like the last point we're gonna make here about the Penguins in this matchup tomorrow night um, is Kasperi Kapanen. And Kasperi Kapanen has had a rough stretch with the Penguins after his first year after being traded from the Maple Leafs. That year where they went to go play the Islanders in the playoffs, I thought he had a good season. I liked what I saw out of him. I really thought last year with how many injuries the Penguins were battling, he would have had a nice season, especially to start the year with you know the opportunity. But it was actually Evan Rodriguez who took you know really his opportunity and ran with it. Had a very nice season for Evan Rodriguez last year. Um, but you know like. Coming into this year, Kapanen is still not producing, and he has one goal, I think, through 12 games or something. He ended up getting healthy scratch against the Washington Capitals, and they win. So they snapped the streak. Are we going to see him tomorrow night? You know, maybe Philip Hollander got the call for the Pittsburgh Penguins to play on Wednesday against the Capitals. He looked pretty good, had a couple huge plays defensively, had a huge block to start, uh, I think it was in the opening period there, which really got the Penguins' juices going. Now it's going to be hard to see Kapanen, you know, jump back into the lineup. But do you think Sully puts uh, Kasperi back in the lineup, given that this is the team that you know traded Kapanen to the team, and that the Penguins did give up a lot for him, um, and that's a lot of money to be sitting in the press box? Yes, only because he's playing in Toronto, and that's the team that they got him for. But I th- another thing I want to add, like, I don't, don't be surprised if he gets traded, Kapanen. Like at the deadline, I could see that. Honestly, a, a trade that I a, tr- a trade that I was wondering about was I, perhaps to Vancouver. I can see him like he's been up and down that lineup. He was scratched the other day. We don't know if he'll be in tomorrow. I think he's done. And he he hasn't been like Toronto captain. Like I really liked him because he was like fast, gritty, like like really fast player. He slowed down a lot since he's got traded to Pittsburgh, and he is getting older a bit too. But he's slowing down a bit. He doesn't have that gritty face in him anymore. I just—he's been up and down that lineup. Like ugh, I just—I think he'll be traded. Yeah, see, like his speed's not an issue for me. I still think he's probably the fastest forward on this Penguins team. But like, it's tough. Like he's—he was a good penalty killer for the Maple Leafs, but. Now he hasn't really gotten that shot with Pittsburgh. He started to get a little bit this year, but 
Like you're not seeing what they paid for at all. And it's it's looking ugly. I don't know why they gave him the amount of money they did this offseason. Didn't feel like he had any, any leverage with Hextall. I guess it was more of you have that older roster. This is your fastest piece parting ways with it could be a huge issue. But like this gamble by Ron Hextall is really backfired. And even if you did make a trade with Kapanen right now, it's hard for me to kind of guess the return because I guess, you know, in a league that's really driven off speed nowadays, I guess there's going to be teams out there, but the problem is that cap hit is that's a, that's a big cap hit 3.2 million or something or 3.25. Like, you know, because Rutherford at the time really, really overpaid for him. And I don't like, I, you can probably get a third or fourth round pick for him, but Rutherford overpaid, really, really overpaid for him. So don't like think like, Oh, they're getting anything ridiculous. Plus his, his cap, it's terrible too. They're not, they'll get nothing for him. And if, if, if they're not going to keep him in the lineup, then I would just trade him. Just get just get something for him. Just get rid of his caps. Find someone. Just do something. Because it's not worth having him, his money just sit there for what what what, what everything they gave up for him. Like they, I think they gave up a first-round pick, from what I'm not mistaken. He's not a first-round pick player right now. I would never, I would never give up a first-round pick for him. Even when I – if I was trying to acquire him from Toronto that one year, like – yeah, that was a bad trade right when it was announced. Like that, that value Pittsburgh gave up was quite significant, and the fact that Evan Rodriguez was also in that trade too, but the Leafs didn't agree to a contract with him. The fact that the Leafs could have got Evan Rodriguez from that trade as well is quite significant. Yeah, no, I I think Evan Rodriguez actually would have panned out well in Toronto. Yeah, for sure, his versatility, the the ability to play on both wings, yeah. he can play down the middle, responsible defensively as well. I think that was another guy here that kind of fits that Cali Yarncroke build and you might have been able to get Evan Rodriguez at the same price you paid Yarncroke and that's a good question actually would you rather have Evan Rodriguez or Cali Yarncroke Mitch honestly like they're both good really good flexible players in the lineup I'd probably take Rodriguez though like I'm just sh- like I'm like I kind of wish the Leafs actually signed him because like i rather him in the lineup than some like than some of the players I have right now like Angball Aston Reese. Camp's camp's good. I don't mind him. Kerfoot's fine. But are you kidding me? Like, I, some of these third, fourth line players, like, I'd rather have him in the lineup than Gordon. He's way more versatile. Like, like Angball, like, and even, like, yeah, Aston Reese, too. Like, he would have, I think, mean, Rodriguez, don't get me wrong, he would have fit really well in Toronto. Like, I'm shot. Like, if I was Dubas, I would have taken advantage of that. But now you're stuck with Angball and Aston Reese. It's, uh, it's a mess. And he's so flexible in the lineup, too. So he plays center, he can play wing, penalty kill. He just he just does it all. Get you that all-clutch goal once in a while. So he does it all. Yeah, that's one thing I'm wondering is still that Maple Leafs bottom six. I do think if they're going to make a trade, it's definitely going to be for a forward you can pencil down there. There's been a lot of talk about O'Reilly. O'Reilly as a third-line center would certainly be nice. Um, you know, perhaps maybe a Connor Garland's a guy that I've been talking about a lot. Uh, you can put him down in your bottom six. He could bring, you know, that need for creativity and offense from I guess a bottom six that really lacks defensive awareness and stuff like that which is good but you don't want to have too much of that because then you're really relying on your stars to get going and we've we know like as much uh you know as good uh like as good as these stars are here in Toronto they do have times where they get cold we see it in the playoffs sometimes and uh usually that's when I guess depth scoring comes in most in handy and 
in the playoffs, it doesn't matter. Your fourth line's got to get you a goal in certain points. You got to get comfortable with the uncomfortable in the postseason. Right now, this Maple Leafs team, I think, needs a stronger bottom six. But let's get to the Vancouver game now, which is going to be on Saturday. Um, Vancouver versus Toronto, always a fun game. Brock Besser's back for the Canucks. I said at the start of this episode, this is these are two good teams coming to Toronto, and they, in my opinion, they genuinely are. Like these rosters are, are good. Like. I, I got confused how the Penguins lost seven in a row. Now, you look at the analytics. They outplayed a lot of their opponents. It was some bad lapses defensively. The goaltending wasn't there. They should have won, uh, I guess, a handful of those seven, actually. Um, but for the Canucks, look at their side. And this is another team that's really struggled with blowing leads. And it was you know worse at the start of the year, the first week of the season. They were really giving up some bad leads, two-nothing two leads, like left, right, and center. Um, but now they're starting to get a little bit back into it, I guess. Demko hasn't had a good year by any standards. Uh, Bo Horvat, he's, you know, the, the, I guess the picture boy for the trade deadline this season. JT Miller has had a really rough season so far. That turnover against the Montreal Canadiens looked awful, looked lazy. Um, you know, this is a team that they made a huge trade last year and Connor Garland and Ekman Larson from the Arizona Coyotes. And, you know, a trade where they got two uh, Arizona's strongest players giving up, I guess, three of their not-so-good players. They got rocked on that trade given the, you know, the draft capital that they gave up and also the contracts, especially Ekman Larson. And Ekman Larson was one of my favorite defensemen a couple seasons ago when he's with Arizona and how good he was that year. But right now, man, this Canucks team, it's looking ugly. And like I said, they just got Brock Besser back. But... How do you feel about this Canucks team? And do you are you like kind of on that level as me? Like you look at the, the names on paper, like it's it's confusing me how bad they truly are. I can't tell if they're gonna want to contend or like playoff contend or. Uh, Dude, like, and honestly, like, honestly, you're you're right. Like yeah. I feel so bad for Canucks fans. Like we hear Jim Rutherford saying that like he didn't feel comfortable with this team or the bad preseason or all this, and he, he doesn't feel good about this team's. I guess the way it's built, but yeah, he goes out and extends JT Miller. Like, what is happening? In there doesn't help, though. Yeah, like, like on that team does not help. I don't know. I'm interested because they do have some great players, Pedersen and Besser. And oh man, Pedersen's start this season has been insane. Credit to him, man. They have great star power. They got some good young guns too, like Quinn Hughes, great lead guy there. But why, like? Why are they doing what they're doing? Like, I don't know why. Like, everyone looks at them as a bottom feeder in the league. I don't think they are. Like, they don't have, they don't, that star power doesn't possess bottom feeder to me. They've always been, like, I don't know. Mid. They just, they're just, yeah, mid. they're mid. But, they, but <laughs> their star power is mediocre. Yeah, they're a mediocre hockey team. I agree. And I can't tell if they're going to want to, like, make the playoffs or, like, rebuild. It's so weird. Then, well, like, like, last year, and sorry to cut you off here, but I, li- I like how you brought that point up, and I want to capitalize on that. Last year, like, it is confusing because remember la- how bad of a start they had. They got rid of management, Travis Green and gone. Then they bring in Bruce, there it is, and <laughs> Boudreaux went on a huge run, and they almost made the postseason. I think they missed by eight points, which is crazy for how bad they started. They had a really nice stretch run after when Boudreaux came in. So, you know, I guess you look at the roster, okay, this year things should be different. I penciled them in to make the postseason. I thought, you know, there's a lot of criticism around them. I thought maybe they would get that last wild card spot in the West. That's looking like a terrible prediction from myself. Um, but right now, like Bo Horvat, Pedersen, and JT Miller as your three centers down the middle, 
it really blows my mind how this team is struggling this badly. And I want to go back to your point here. So you said you're confused if they're contending or not. I think we all are. But they brought in Ilya Mikheyev and they made it known that they wanted to get faster. They wanted to develop a stronger penalty kill. Is it fair to say Ilya Mikheyev is just going to go off for a hat-trick tomorrow night? Because seemingly, whenever the Leafs play a former Maple Leaf, they just seem to have a very good night. Oh, yeah. If it's against the Leafs, 100%. If you, if you, if you leave Toronto, you succeed. That's just how it goes. And I can name a list of players that have done that. So, yeah, he'll, he'll do some damage against the Leafs. I think he will. Leafs didn't want to pay him. He's going he's gonna to want to put a foot in the ice tomorrow and dictate something. So, yeah, but he... Uh, He's a good player. I really like him with his time in Toronto. He's fast. Fortunately, he had to go, though. Money wasn't really there for him. Dude, he's on fire right now with Vancouver, by the way. Yeah, I know. So, I know. He's, That's what I said. Like, every player in Toronto, every player leaves Toronto succeeds. And you know what? Credit to him. It looked like in the preseason he got that scary injury. It looked like, you know, there's rumors yeah. he was going to be out long term. But yet this guy comes in. I think he's playing with Pedersen right now. The speed from those two, they are blowing by defensemen, and it's been evident. And I'm a little nervous tomorrow going to get, you know, or tomorrow, Saturday. This is a younger kind of Maple Leafs decor, right? Sandine, Lilligren, they do have the experience in Giordano and Riley, even Brody as well to a certain extent. But, you know, they're, they're lacking the Jake Muzzin, you know, attributes, right? And yeah, like like slowing, like remember these two teams went at it at Scotiabank Arena last season, and this was kind of when the Leafs were in their peak form there, and Vancouver really started to you know turn their season around. And they, I remember they ended up beating the Maple Leafs on home ice, and it was a significant win for the Canucks. Um, and they really opened the game up offensively. They got a couple. I think the final score was like five three or something, um, and that was the Nick Robertson game where I'm pretty sure he scored his first goal. Uh, the NHL, or sorry, his first regular season NHL goal. And I remember watching that game, how good Demko was. And Demko last season was a monster. And this season he's had a slow start. Now, are you worried about Thatcher Demko and his play? But because like you look at social media, they're all, you know, burning in flames, Demko, all this. But to me, coming into the season, he was a top 10 goalie. And I'm not worried at all with his play. He still is a top 10 goalie in the league. Maybe not right now, but I, I would put him in my top 10 easily. That guy's a fantastic goalie, and I still don't get how they're struggling with him in that either. I know, right? Like, like I would take him on the lease any day, but I still don't know how they're struggling with him in that. Like, he's really good goalie. Credit to their backup too. Spencer Mertens had some good games too. Credit to him. He's not talked about enough. Yeah, I know. Like the Leafs have been rolling with Samsonov and like now Shogren. But I, I take, and they're struggling with Demko. Oh, like, hold on, hold on. I have to cut you off again. That was a good point you just brought up there with the goaltenders, because it looks like Matt Murray might actually start this game for the Leafs. Oh, yeah, like Perfect this morning, at, this morning at practice, there was a video of him uh, in the session, and he was making a couple good saves. His glove, he actually made a glove save. I had to rewind. I was actually quite surprised. Uh, let me say this about Murray. I Go ahead. He had a good first game in Toronto. All right, I mean, first good like season. Uh, first, like the home opener. I think he or the the game against home, Montreal. He had a great game. You I, think so? In some aspects. In some, uh, yeah, that I agree. I there, there was times where he made I some think, big saves. I think the D kind of blew him off a bit. Like his glove side, though, man. Like it, it's got to, it's got to get better. As an NHL goaltender, it just has to. Like I, I tweeted it out five times before the game. His glove side, and it felt like every goal was going over his glove side. 
Like, I'm not an NHL scout by any means, but man, you have to develop that area of his game. Uh, I agree. It's not definitely shouldn't be a weakness for a goalie. I think like he had a really good start to that game, and uh, like, but I think the D really screwed him over a bit. Like the the Muzzin turnover. The Caulfield goals I didn't like. I think he could have had those, but I like I he played okay. Like I wouldn't say he played bad. Like it is his debut on a new team, so I wasn't really expecting anything crazy. And plus, I feel like like they always drop the opener. So yeah, that's that's a good point, especially when it's against the Montreal's or the Ottawa's. Um, yeah, you know, just final things here to wrap up on this episode. Now, Boudreaux, obviously, right now he's still with the Vancouver Canucks at the time of this recording. I got to ask you, Mitch, if the Leafs lose this game on, I mean, sorry, if the Canucks lose this game on hockey night in Canada, immediately following the game, is this when Boudreaux finally gets the hook and is fired from the Vancouver Canucks? Oh man, that's a great question. Like I'm so shocked still they're in this position because like he, like when they fired green or whoever they did and they hired a, uh, Boudreaux, like he actually took them on a good stretch and almost had them in the playoffs. But now he's like, it's the total opposite. They're basically like where they were like a year from now or a year ago. But now it's like, I don't know. I feel like they always start off slow and then they pick it up. Like the coach is fired or GM's fired and they just pick it up. So I think it's just like, it's a, it's a repeating cycle for them. That's the thing. And the re- the reason I ask is because it is on hockey night in Canada. We know these are two very passionate Canadian markets I, I really wouldn't be surprised if when all eyes are looking on them, they make a huge move there. And, you know, Jimmy Rutherford, he's he's a very active kind of general manager. Well, right now he's kind of overseeing things. It's still Patrick Alvin, But Alvin is kind of, you know, the apprentice still to Rutherford. Rutherford, in my opinion, is going to go out there. And if he wants him gone, he's going to get him gone. And I love the Alvin and Rutherford, you know, combo. We I saw what they did in Pittsburgh firsthand. They, they worked well together. And, you know, they had some high success. Uh, they had some lows as well, but still, this is a good like duo. And I got to wonder, man, like, you know, Rutherford talked about how this really isn't his guy, right? Like they, they came into this organization. They weren't really able to find their guy. You know, every GM wants to get their guy behind the bench. And we saw that with the Maple Leafs, right? And Babcock was what MLSC paid. They, that was Lou's guy. Like he was the man behind the bench for the Maple Leafs until Dubas came in. Once Dubas came in, it was that kind of, forced marriage where you know we all knew eventually Sheldon Keefe was going to be the coach because of how much success they had with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds then they had success in the AHL level with the Marlies winning the championship so we all knew eventually Sheldon Keefe was going to replace him as long as Kyle was the GM and right now I think it's his writing's on the wall because GMs when they want their guy they usually get their guy and you look out at the market right now Barry Trotz says he doesn't want to coach until December so maybe it's not Barry Trotz but there's some still good names out there now tell me mitch like do you see where i'm going with this like i i feel like this could be it for bruce there it is which kind of sucks because you know he he's done so much for the nhl and you know this game and he's a great coach love his interviews he, he's an awesome character he, like he's just such a good guy off the ice and it would be sad to see him exit the nhl once again but man i hope this guy gets a media deal or something because i would love to see him on one of the hockey panels yeah, I don't. I can't see this guy being like out of the league. But yeah, no. Like, I definitely want to rule firing him though. If um, like if that's the case, the if the come, they, I don't know. They just had a rough start. Maybe like a bench boss, new bench boss would be reasonable for them. It's just 
just unfortunate, though, because, like, he really took them on a good stretch last season, almost got them in the playoffs, and now they're just, like, they're folding, it almost feels like, and it's just like, oh, it's just back at it again, so they're just, they've always been a mad team, in my opinion, and I definitely wouldn't rule firing him, though, if, if that's the scenario. Rutherford will do that, like, I, like, if you, like you said earlier, if he wants him out, he'll want him out, so, like, yeah, we'll see what happens, but I definitely wouldn't rule that out. Yeah, Ruther- I'm surprised Rutherford hasn't really done it yet. But I think that is it from us today on the Battleborn Leafs podcast. Uh, Mitch, is there any last things you want to say on today's episode? I think I'm going to go get ready for a good, uh, good uh, couple of next hockey games. Yeah, the Pittsburgh Penguins and Vancouver Canucks will be coming to town on a back-to-back. It will be interesting to see. Uh, it is the Hall of Fame game on Friday night, but I'm curious to see if maybe the Leafs roll those reverse retros in one of these games. So stay tuned for that. And credit to Austin Matthews quickly for that beautiful vintage CCM stick. Mitch, how awesome is that stick? That's a nice stick. And I see it. I, I can see a goal from him this weekend with that. So. Oh, a goal pencil him in for three goals on any betting website because that stick is fire. And I'm sure his play will be just as good. All right, guys. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode of the Battleborn Leafs podcast. And we'll be back with you guys again next week. I know what I see Do you have the guts to do?